Good morning, Redeemer. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Uh, so turn, we're, we were in Ecclesiastes for a, a while in the Old Testament, turn to the, uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts uh, is right before the book of Romans, Acts 13 is where we are picking up from where we were uh, last in the book of Acts, Acts 13, we'll, we'll cover verses 44 through 52. The name of this series is, if you will please stand with me at the reading of God's Word, Acts 13, verses 44 through 52 is where we pick up. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Acts chapter, uh, the, the book of Acts can be divided into two sections. Chapters 1 through 12 is Peter preaching to the Jews. Chapters 13 through 28 is Paul preaching to the Gentiles. That begins in chapter 13, and that's where we are this morning. In other words, this is the hinge chapter or the transition chapter that has been written like the rest of this book as well as the gospel that Luke wrote to a man named Theophilus. This is a uh, a new believer we understand who who is a gentile and and Luke has purpose to write both his gospel and acts. It says in the beginning of the book of Luke to give asphalt for him to stand on. In other words, to give him concrete to place all of his trust and hope in Jesus Christ and not to turn away from him. Right before our passage, 
chapter 13, starting in verse 13, as Paul and Barnabas are, are on Paul's first missionary journey through uh, the, the cities of Galatia. They find their way to Antioch and the synagogue. And I want you to notice as you scan through that passage right before ours, how Paul in his sermon to those who were gathered together at the synagogue, he keeps addressing them with these words, men of Israel. And then later he says, brothers. And then he turns to them again and says, sons of Abraham. And again, brothers. I make this point because in this chapter, Paul is turning to the Gentiles after first speaking to the Jews. And his message right before our passage that leads us to the next Sabbath is he said to, to, to the Jews gathered that day, Jesus is the point of God's every prophecy and Jesus is the provider of God's every promise. And then many of the Jews there at the end of that passage begged Paul to come back the next week and preach again. I believe that Luke is including our passage in this book to answer a question that might come up in the mind of Theophilus. And that is, why would a Jewish king mainly be planting Gentile churches? If he's the king of the Jews... Why is it that he's mainly going to turn at this point to speak to those who are not Jews? We might be curious today. Why is Christianity seeming to flourish more in those areas that we have not associated with the Christian religion? Why is it that the Bible Belt is the place that doesn't seem quite as responsive in reality to the Lord Jesus. And Luke gives us the answer because the religious thrust aside the Word that lifts up the Lord Jesus. I want you to see how our passage is organized. We have two scenes that tell us how different sections in the congregation that day responded to Paul's preaching. Look at verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds. And then look for the second response in the second half, verse 48. When the Gentiles heard. And the message that comes to us is mainly taught to us through the Jew, the Jews' response. If you thrust aside the word, eternal life will turn to others. That's the sermon in a sentence. Thrust aside the word, 
and eternal life will turn to others. We're going into the holiday season. Even this week, we are anticipating, perhaps, the memories of what we've experienced in the past during holidays. We can probably remember some holidays filled with jealousy. With wondering, why is so-and-so not here? Or why is so-and-so not treating me the way that I want them to treat me? Or holidays with joy. And as we enter into this holiday season, we are reminded from our passage that jealousy and joy are placed in front of us. And whether you get one or the other will be completely based upon how you respond to God's Word. Look first of all in verses 44 through 47. The Jews are filled with jealousy. The Jews are filled with jealousy. When, verses 44 and 45, the whole city has gathered there that day to hear Paul preach. The Jews have not in all their outreach efforts. It's hard to imagine them having outreach efforts with with Gentiles, but uh, they, they have never seen this kind of outpouring of people who are wanting to hear them preach. And I just want you to notice why they're there in verse 44. Wouldn't we love to see verse 44 in our day? They are, the whole city almost is gathered together for this reason. It, 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 is, it is not to receive the gifts that that clever and rich church offered to the people to come and get a raffle to them. It is not there, they are not there because they heard, if you want to hear some really live worship music, you need to go to this place. And when you go, they're jumping all over the stage. And they want to be there because they're excited about the energy in the place. They're not going there because they just know that's the place to be. It's just hip to be there. No, they are going there because they want to hear the word. And that comes right after. If you look right before our passage in verse 41, look at how Paul just responded to these people. What he called them, scoffers. What he gave them was a a prophecy from Habakkuk chapter 1 where God says, I'm about to do something you've never seen in your life and you would never even imagine would happen. I'm taking your enemies and I'm going to make you jealous. And they hear that. And verse 42, they beg for these things to be preached the next Sabbath. At least some of them begged. Would you, as we move through verse 44, ask the Spirit of God to gather all the town to do nothing less and nothing more than to hear the Word of Christ? That's what we want. In verses 46 and 47, in the jealousy of their hearts, the Jews thrust aside God's word. Paul says to them, it was necessary for us to preach the word to you first. Jesus, after all, is a Jewish king. And even at the beginning of Acts Chapter 1, verse 8, it says that the word will go out in Jerusalem before it goes out 
to the ends of the earth. And it did. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in chapters 4 and 5, the Jews, hearing his preaching, imprisoned him and commanded him not to preach Christ again. In fact, our phrase, filled with jealousy, was used earlier in this book, in chapter 5, verse 17, whenever the Jews saw that Peter's preaching was also accompanied by the power of God to heal people, and all of the people who had needs were coming to Peter and not to the Jews, and they were filled with jealousy. See, they they knew their Bibles. And, And they understood that that they should expect Almighty God one day to to cause the Gentiles to come to them. To bring all their needs to God's people. They're waiting for that prophecy to be fulfilled. And it's being fulfilled not for them, but through the apostles of Jesus. And they thrust aside the Word. In chapter 7, whenever Stephen stood up and preached the word, it says that the Jews plugged their ears and ran at him and then killed him. In chapter 9, they send Saul with the authority to bind everyone who calls on the name. They want to silence the name. They want to stop the preaching. And then they find out that now Saul is a Christian. And he's confounding the Jews later in that chapter. And he's proving Jesus. And then the Jews say, well, we're going to kill you. And then right before our passage in chapter 12, Peter's story ends with Herod trying to silence him. This is what they do. They thrust aside the Word of God. And... Luke, I think, is instructing this new believer, Theophilus. And he's telling them, look, there there are people out there who are holy, who claim to know the only God. And they've got Bibles. But I want you to watch the habits of so-called holy people. And if you will watch closely, you will see the habits of hell and not of heaven in the very people who claim to be followers of God. And so he's instructing this new believer, don't be surprised when you see this. And do not thrust aside the Word of God. It doesn't matter who comes to you, Theophilus, claiming to love the Lord. If they treat His Word like it's trash. It doesn't matter how many there are, how many of them that approve of one another. Don't think that it's okay to thrust aside the Word of God because if you do, you'll be throwing away eternal life. If you thrust aside the Word of Christ, you are throwing away eternal life. Beloved, let me give you this Warning, there will be people in our lives, there may be people listening, 
who are deceived. Because they actually live out with with habits of thrusting aside. That is the characteristic of those without eternal life. They, verse 45, when the preaching comes, they contradict and say, no, 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 it's not. They, verse 45, blaspheme and revile preachers of the word. And and then they, verse 50, drive them out of their presence. You've got to be careful not just in how you respond to preaching and preachers. It's really anyone in our lives who when they bring us the truth from God's Word and try to apply it to our life, encourage us to change for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And then we start not liking them so much. And we don't really have time for them. And we drive truth-tellers across a lifetime out of our lives so that we can't hear it any longer. Verse 46 And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. I want to spend a few moments on this wonderful verse 47 and just start with the phrase ends of the earth. You need to know that this is a key phrase throughout the whole Bible. I'm just going to give you a few examples. Psalm 22 verse 7, God says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship the Lord. And then in Psalm 72, verse 8, Solomon says, May the Son of David have dominion all over to the ends of the earth. Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, that great passage where the nations are raging and plotting in vain and the Lord sets up His King on His holy hill. And then He says to that Lord, your inheritance that I'm going to give to you is the nations. You will possess the ends of the earth. 28 times in Scripture, that phrase comes to us to tell us that it is God's determination that He would have the worship of all the world through the ministry of His triumphing and conquering King even though His own nation rejects Him. And so we get the quote in our passage that Justin read to us earlier from Isaiah 49 where the servant of the Lord who represents all of Israel, is called from the womb of his mother and told by the Lord, you are my servant. You are Israel. This is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus. And in you I will be glorified. But I said, the servant says. This is what the servant experiences. I have labored. 
I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. His own people. He is called a light to the nations, but later in Isaiah 49 it says that the nation of Israel hates Him. And so the Lord tells him, Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves before you because the Lord who is faithful has chosen you. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible that we have quoted here in Acts 13. When God says to the servant, Christ, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant just to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. You are too great a king for so light a thing. I'm going to make you a light to all the nations and from the ends of the earth, they will come to you and you will rule over them, even though for a time it seemed that you labored in vain and your strength was spent For nothing when Jesus dies on the cross by His own people's will. God raises Him to make Him a light to the nations. Jesus Christ is the light of God for a world that lives in darkness and in death. He is our only hope. And what's interesting in Acts chapter 13 is that when Paul preaches verse 47, when he's preaching Isaiah 49, he says the Lord has commanded us, as in Paul and Barnabas, that he should be the light for the Gentiles. He uses Isaiah 49's promise of Jesus and says, Jesus has now passed this on to us. In other words, Jesus is the light that is making His apostles a light to bring salvation and life to the Gentiles. Now listen, I don't think you can do what Paul did. I don't think I should do what Paul did and say this prophecy that was made to Jesus is The Lord commands me to do it. No, unless the Lord actually does command you to do it. And He did with Paul. Remember when he was saved? How he was saved. A great light came and blinded him and thrust him into darkness. And then Jesus saved him and said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. That's what he's thinking of here when he says he's been, he's commanded me. He's a special follower of Christ. He has a unique mission. But the Apostle Peter does say of us who are saved in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you have been made a believer in Christ to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. 
Even if you can't say what Paul says, that God has commanded you to be a light to the Gentiles, you can say, if that light has come to you, he has called me out of darkness like he did Saul. And you should. And so I want to encourage us from the example of Paul to bring the light and to aim his beams in the darkest corners of our town. In other words, when, it, when, when Paul preaches this right after saying, God said in Habakkuk that he was going to even use the Babylonians, your greatest enemies, the greatest darkness in the world. He's now telling us, and the Jews would have heard it this way, God's going to give light to the darkest places to the darkest people. And beloved, I want to encourage us to bring the light, and particularly in this season, no matter what rejection may be threatened to us. Because look, rejection, verse 46, even persecution, verse 50, has never been a reason to stop the ministers of God's Word. And it must not stop us. Even the Lord Jesus thought that he labored in vain. But he knew his recompense was with God, and so we wait for the fruit. So, beloved, let me encourage you in this season in particular, as God gives you this word this morning, to ask the Holy Spirit to come and give you bold speech. And those people in your life who you think are too far gone, you go to them and you say, can I tell you about my king? And then you can share how he called you out of darkness. I've got a bunch of uh, pamphlets upstairs on the, a shortened version of what is the gospel. I'm happy to give them to you. You hand them to one of those friends and say, can we meet this Tuesday and talk about this over coffee? And then the season just provides us softballs, right? Where we can invite them to an event where, where they're going to actually hear the gospel for sure. Thrust aside the word and eternal life will turn to others. The Jews were filled with jealousy. But secondly, in verses 48 through 52, the Gentiles, notice the phrase, they're filled with joy. You see that at the beginning of this section, verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. You see it at the end of that section, verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy. Beloved, verse 48 is communicating to us that the world's joy is found in Jesus Christ. A world full of joy. A joy that can fill all of the world can be found in Jesus Christ. Actually, this idea of light and darkness doesn't start in Isaiah 49. In, in the book of Isaiah, it starts in chapter 8, where it says in 8 and 9 that 
uh, a son will be born to us. And he will be a light for those dwelling in darkness. And he will bring gladness to those living in gloom. And they will have, it says, increased joy when God multiplies the nation. They will rejoice. They will be glad. In other words, what we're seeing in verse 48 is the Gentiles are experiencing what God promised the people who believe in Jesus will experience. God is fulfilling His Word. He's spreading His powerful Word. It goes from hundreds of years before and is, it is experienced in reality. The Lord says in Isaiah chapter 9, when, the, when we have that prophecy of the incarnation that we celebrate during Christmas, it says that of the increase of the government of the Son of David, of the increase of His kingdom, there will be no end. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And that word zeal, that feeling that God has of commitment to expand the reign of His Son, that word zeal, is the same word as the word jealous in our passage. The Jews are jealously trying to shut up anyone who talks about the king. And the problem is, all of their zeal is butting right up against the zeal of the Lord of hosts. And it's Him who wins. And so, the word goes out and the people increase in joy as they turn to Christ. Yesterday, when I was talking to Terry, as he came to, to teach us, we were just catching up on some counseling matters, and he told me about a case as he's supervising um, a counselor. The counselor uh, uh, gave a report to Terry that someone that they had been trying to help as they were ministering the word to him, that, that he had recently given himself over to it, to two days that were filled with sexual immorality and drug abuse. And, and it ended in his death. And those two days were immediately following the counselor pleading with the gospel. What I'm saying is, when we plead with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it brings people to a crossroads. And there will be a real response that tells where they really are. If you are here and you are wondering, what am I going to do? I want to plead with you to find joy. That's what you should do. You should find joy. And you can only find it in Jesus Christ. There are lots of people in this world who consider themselves unworthy of eternal life. That's the way Paul puts it. What does it mean to become worthy of eternal life? Well, those were good people 
who were not worthy of eternal life. So it's not through being good that you become worthy of this gift of eternal life. It's actually being bad. It's being filled with sin. It's being tired of it. It's, it's knowing what it means to walk through a world of darkness and to be ready to, for the gloom to end. It's wanting relief. It's wanting an end and help from out of the destroyed relationships in your life. And knowing it is only through Christ and it is through Christ that it will happen. He will lead you to life if you listen to Him and follow Him. In verses 44 and 45, jealousy of Jesus caused the Jews to thrust aside the Word and throw away their salvation. In verse 48, joy goes to those who are desperate for the life that only Jesus can bring. And notice joy goes to those who come to the light through the preaching of the Word. When the Gentiles heard, they began rejoicing and glorifying the Word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Theophilus might be asking the question, why? Why is it that we're seeing these two different responses? How do we make sense of those who believe when, when there's so many who do, do not believe? And if you're trying to convince me that even though, Luke, you're convincing me that even though his own people don't believe in him, I should not go away from Jesus. Why don't the Jews receive their king? And the end of verse 48, Luke is giving him an answer to this question. And he's telling us, behind jealousy and joy, and before jealousy and joy come from the response to the Word, there is an eternal appointment. That word appointment means a station that a person is assigned to. A station. And the assigner makes all the arrangements to place that person in that station. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, they are the ones who believed as many as. Some people asked me yesterday, Ryan, how many skeet you gonna shoot? I say, how many skeet you got? As many as that. No, they asked me, are you shooting today? And I said, uh, with every pull of the trigger, I lose credibility with these people. And, and so this kind of event is really dangerous for my ministry. I'm just not going to shoot at all. Because as many times as I pull the trigger, I will miss that many skis. As many as. That, that means there is a one-for-one one relationship between those who believe 
and those who were being appointed by God to believe. It's as many as. In other words, every single one who will receive eternal life was appointed by God in eternity past to receive eternal life. I need to hear an amen if, if I'm going to keep on doing this, because there's a whole world full of people who hear about the doctrine of election and they are fighting against it and they're angry. You want to make someone angry, you start talking about how God appoints individuals to eternal life. Well, that's as old as Genesis chapter 3 when we don't want to let God be God. But He is God over this. And you should rejoice because it, if you believe, that means He appointed you. You should hear this and rejoice in a zealous, saving God who gives a word to an ancient people many miles away and it comes to you because He's zealous to save as many as names and individual people. You should rejoice. Because before you turn to Him, He turned to you. Don't, do you see that like in the text? Verse 48 has the Gentiles rejoicing and glorifying the Word. Before that, it says in verse 46, we are turning to the Gentiles. Before they can rejoice and believe, The message has to be turned to them. And the reason in verse 47 that they're going to turn to the Gentiles with the message is because God commanded me to. That means you need to turn to the Lord. You need to turn to the Lord. And if you turn to the Lord, He turned to you before that. He appointed you, believer, to as many as were appointed. And then we get a little word, two. In other words, when he was imagining you in eternity past, before Genesis 1, when he was thinking of you, he was arranging all the circumstances of your life, all the years of your life, for a destiny. Where am I going to lead everything to for you? And for the believer, it is to eternal life. Not just a walking of the aisle, not just a praying of a prayer, but I mean heaven eternal with God forever. That's what He's appointed us to. Amen? Verses 49-52, the Word spreads. The whole book, as we get back to it, just remember, is about the triumph of God's Gospel over every single threat. When the Jews, verse 50, try to silence preachers, verse 51 comes. God sends the preachers out. You can't silence us. But before they leave, they return dust to those who thrust the word aside. It's an image Theophilus would have recognized from the first book of Luke where Jesus 
commanded his disciples when they go out from village to village and preach the gospel, if anyone doesn't receive the message, you should shake the dust off your clothes at them, against them. It is a terrible picture that because you will not receive the word from me, I will have nothing to do with you. I, you will have nothing that I offer. We are not fellows. We are enemies. I'm never coming back. This place is cursed. I want none of it on me. Nothing unclean will go into God's presence, so I want none of that on me. And so they take the dust that they picked up in that area and throw it back against them. Of course, dust in the Bible is associated with death. From dust you came to dust you go. This is the realm of death. I'm going to the world of life. When sermons stop, life leaves. And so, the preachers move on to Iconium. Why is the new preacher's congregation made of Gentiles? There's two preachers in Acts, Peter and Paul. Why is the new preacher's congregation made of Gentiles? The answer is because the first preacher's congregation wouldn't listen. Now, I've been really encouraged this week as we've come back, at least to hear from several that they really missed gathering. Not everyone can gather, not everyone's here, and I don't know all the reasons for that. But if you were eager to hear the Word, Understand that there are habits in your life that are signs that you belong to the Lord. That's what we've seen. Right before our passage, it is the people who beg to hear the Word that rejoice. Who then the next week, verse 44, they gather when the Word is there. And then at the end of the passage are then filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. It said in verse 48 that they glorified the Lord or glorified the word. The word glorify is king language. It's royal. It means sitting under, in this case, not the Lord Jesus, but sitting under the word of the Lord Jesus. And in that way, we are sitting under the Lord Jesus's feet when we hear the word about him. I hope you have learned that no matter how desperately we want to gather to hear the word, there are some things that will prevent us. And I hope that your response to that is, then every time I can, I want to hear the word of life. Because the meter of my joy is tied to the intake of the word. Not just hearing the word, taking it in. If you want joy, Take in the word of Christ and you will receive the Lord of joy. Thrust aside the word and eternal life will turn to others. 
but glorify the word, and you will be filled with joy and with God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for gathering us. It is a gift, and we pray that you would cause us to believe it is a gift. God, I'm concerned when people aren't eager and don't know that their life depends on hearing the word. God, would you exalt your son in the way that you always do, by your spirit spreading the word. May the word spread in our hearts and from us to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.